Did you know that BDSM and kink are healthy outlets for aggression, imagination, and attention? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness. My name is Dana Shergel, and I am a sexual wellness instructor that dives deep into all things kinky. I'm here to show why kinky sexual wellness deserves a rightful spot within the wellness conversation. So let's talk about it. Hey, and welcome back. As promised, this week, I'll be starting the three-part mini-series where I give each of the BDSM and kink basics their own episode. This week, I'll be starting with partnership. Next week, I'll be doing impact. And then for the third week, I'll be doing the plan and prep basics. But before we even get into the BDSM and kink basics, let's break down what BDSM and kink actually stand for. BDSM is the abbreviation for three subgroups. The BD stands for bondage and discipline. The DS stands for dominance and submission. And the SM stands for sadism and masochism. Bondage and discipline are the activities that combine the use of physical restraints and psychological restraints based on rules, which can either result in a punishment or a reward. Dominance and submission refer to the power exchange dynamics that happen between partners within certain activities and role-playing scenarios. A sadist is a person who receives pleasure from inflicting or witnessing pain and humiliation inflicted upon another. A masochist is a person who enjoys having pain or humiliation inflicted on them. BDSM is an umbrella term that includes all the activities, role-playing scenarios, and interpersonal relationship dynamics that go within each of the abbreviations. Kink is the term used to include all activities that fall outside the parameters of what society deems as a social norm or acceptable. Now, before we can get into partnership, there's two basic requirements you need to know. First and foremost, the most basic requirement you need to follow is playing consentingly. Consent means permission for something to happen or the agreement to do something. Consent does not have a contractual obligation and can be withdrawn at any time. Consent is to be given willingly, clearly, and explicitly without pressure or intimidation. Consent is what separates play activities from assault. BDSM and kink activities are built on the foundation of consent. And like all things within BDSM and kink, when it comes to consent, you need to take accountability for it and understand that mistakes can happen if we aren't clear enough. For example, if you have consented to a particular action but haven't laid out the details of what that action is, problems are going to show up and you may feel that you have been violated or that a boundary has been crossed. Don't be fooled into thinking that when a boundary or limit has been crossed, it's automatically the other person's fault. That's not always the case and we need to be able to ask ourselves honestly if we were clear enough on the consent given. And this concept can be very difficult at first. A lot of people don't want to think of themselves as the one at fault when something bad happens to them. You know, it's easier to play victim than it is to take accountability. So if you can't accept the concept that you may have been at fault for not giving enough details on the consent you gave, then don't get into BDSM and kink. Because I say this all the time that people are not mind readers. And if you are not clear enough on the information and instructions you are giving, then that information and instructions could be interpreted differently. Consent is more than just a yes or no answer. Consent needs details, it needs structure, it needs context. If you want more information on taking accountability for your consent, 
check out podcast episode 74, where I talk about just that. The second basic requirement to understand is any form of physical contact can never be 100% safe. There is no guarantee that a mistake won't happen when you're playing within BDSM and kink. Seriously, people have died playing within BDSM and kink for making mistakes or rushing things. This isn't a joke. So anytime someone enters a play that can cause serious short-term, long-term, or permanent harm, including death or disfigurements, is categorized under edge play. And if you are aware of the risks and can centrally accept those potential risk factors, then the activity is considered a risk-aware consensual kink or rack for short. But for now, let's just stick with the basics as I spend the next few weeks explaining that not everything within BDSM and kink is as crazy as it looks. So let's begin with basic one of the BDSM and kink basics, which is partnership. The partner we choose makes all the difference in what we do and how we do it. All of us come with our own desires, needs, and requests, so we need to make sure that we have the right conversation to make sure those desires, needs, and requests are understood in order for them to be met. Partnership basics consists of three factors, which is interview, aftercare, and negotiate. Your interview stage aims to eliminate that cat and mouse game. This is your chance to say what you want directly, which will save you time, but most importantly, it's going to save you your energy. But before you can start interviewing potential partners, the first person you need to interview is yourself. BDSM and kink are vulnerable spaces requiring a high level of self-awareness. So the first question you need to ask yourself is, am I self-aware enough to enter BDSM and kink? Hmm. Being self-aware means that you are conscious of your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, attitudes, mental states, and how they affect the people around you. Within BDSM and kink, people need to know when they are hurting someone properly and when they aren't. Self-aware people tend to be more okay with constructive criticism because self-aware people want to fix their mistakes, which is a crucial step for taking responsibility and action should something go wrong within your play. Self-awareness helps you to know more about your likes and dislikes, which will help you to outline your boundaries and limits. Also, unfortunately, one of the pitfalls of BDSM and kink is that it attracts some unethical people. You need to know what you stand for and be self-aware enough to walk away from a situation or person when you're being disrespected or lied to or something about the situation just seems off to you in your gut and intuition. Being self-aware takes time and it won't happen overnight. So sorry, but not sorry. If you're not self-aware, you can't enter BDSM and kink. However, there are some ways to work on self-awareness that can help you, such as journaling, meditating, going to therapy, or asking yourself self-exploration questions. There are also some qualities that you and any partner you choose need to have. The list is quite expansive, but major ones are honesty, transparency, respect, consideration, and empathy. These qualities only strengthen your ability for a good partnership. In addition to these, you need insight, mutuality, and emotional regulation. I heard these three specific qualities from clinical psychologist, Dr. Joanne Davila. Now, Dr. Joanne is best known for her research on romantic relationships and classifies these three qualities as romantic competence. But from a BDSM and kink perspective, 
you wouldn't be able to have a decent partnership without these three qualities. Insights lets you know more about yourself as well as what type of person or experience you're looking to have. Mutuality allows you and your partner to understand that both of you have needs and that both of your needs need to be met. And emotional regulation is what's needed if something goes wrong. Accidents happen within BDSM and kinks. So being able to remain calm under stress is a must. The next factor of interview is desired outcomes. Desired outcomes include mental, emotional, sexual, physical, and even spiritual outcomes. What do each of these look like to you before, during, and after your sex? Mentally and emotionally, are you looking for a specific type of attention? Are you looking to experience or obtain a particular sensation or experience? Do you just want to dump all your useless feelings? How about sexually? Are you looking to have an orgasm right away? Do you want to linger on the edge or do you want to beg for it? Physically, are you looking to break a sweat or do you want to feel relaxed? Do you want to chill out? For a spiritual outcome, do you want to express another personality within you or do you want to deepen your relationship with your partner? Now, having a general idea of what you want in these categories really helps the play to feel more well-rounded. Next is boundaries and limits. Boundaries and limits are what build the parameters of the play and are based upon what you will and will not tolerate. The two primary types of boundaries and limits are hard and soft. I'll be talking about soft boundaries and negotiation, but hard boundaries and limits are things you do not want your partner to push, challenge, or change, and ultimately will not tolerate. They are the things you seriously don't want to do and would be a deal breaker if someone else wanted to do them. Hard boundaries and limits are serious, and if someone crosses them, they violate consent, making the action assault. This is why having self-awareness is so important because you need to feel and notice when your boundaries and limits are being pushed or challenged right from the start. Knowing when to leave a partner is just as important as choosing one. Now, boundaries and limits can change over time, and some you will even learn as you play through BDSM and kink. But areas you need to address are general pain tolerances, areas of the body that aren't and aren't off limits, and what constitutes as acceptable amount of force if you are playing within a form of impact. Also, boundaries and limits don't need to stay sexual. A hard boundary everyone should implement is watching their partners warm up. I'll be going through this next week, but another one is setting limits for what you do and do not talk about. New play partners don't need to know everything about your friends and family right away. You know, unless that's something you really want them to know, but your personal business is your personal business. And I think when you're starting out, it's best to just take time and getting to know someone. You know, at the end of the day, it's your choice. So use your best judgment when it comes to that, but you don't need to rush into that. Next are turnoffs and triggers. Turnoffs are the things that don't appeal to us. They make us annoyed and they cause our sexual energy to slip down. But triggers are more serious. Triggers relate to the things that quickly send a person to a very negative place mentally, emotionally, physically, or a combination of all three. Triggers can happen unexpectedly. There is literally no guarantee a trigger won't be set off because 
our bodies can be a minefield of repressed pain and painful memories. And pain can live in the body for years, even decades after something has happened to us. Even when our minds forget, our bodies still remember. Another thing about it is just don't be fooled into thinking that a massive boundary needs to be crossed for a trigger to be set off. In reality, it's really the simplest of mistakes or miscommunication that can set them off. And if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not, that won't happen to me. I know everything about my life. Triggers won't happen to me. That It will happen to you. It's the person who says it won't happen to me. You can almost guarantee that the universe is going to make something happen. It's just how it works. And really, some people can go years without getting triggered. And then boom, something happens. And once someone has been triggered, it takes time to recover from it. A triggered person can express intense emotions or they shut down on themselves. Some will most likely cry uncontrollably, start to shake. You know, being triggered can feel and look like a panic attack. And so sometimes these feelings and moments can last minutes, but sometimes they can last days. Even weeks, I've heard of stories that, you know, they've had flashbacks months down the road. So although you can't, you know, guarantee that a trigger won't happen down the road, if you write down actions, language, behaviors, and attitudes that you don't like or that make you upset, this can help you navigate away current possible turnoffs and triggers. Now, your answers for these categories will most likely change over time with new experiences that you go through in life. So make a daily effort to check in with yourself or at least a weekly check in with yourself on the things that are happening around you and just reflect on what you like and what you don't like because you, you know, you might find as you're reflecting on what you like, you're going to find out that you're doing things that you actually don't like at all or don't bring you any pleasure. Now, once you have an idea for what you want each of these factors, then you can start to interview potential play partners, what their desired outcomes are, what their hard boundaries and limits are, and what their turnoffs and triggers are. But you're going to be adding some discovery questions that both of you will need to answer. Now, discovery questions include any questions you need or want to ask, but they can be broken down into three categories, which are health, experience, and interest. Health discovery questions include asking for a current sexual health record or if they have anything going on that could impact your play, such as having a previous broken bone, fracture or sprain, or, you know, if they're on any medication or substance that's being used that could interfere with sensation and feeling. Health hypothetical questions that can be included are things like, what would we do if someone were to get pregnant or had a bad allergic reaction to something you didn't know? Health questions are very important, and both of you need to be able to answer these questions. Now, the next one is experience discovery questions, and topics include discussing good, bad, worst experiences you've ever had, and how you handled them. You can ask how long someone's been within BDSM and kink for, and if they say they've been in it for a while, you can ask for references. Some people do have references, especially when you're going into DOM work. And if you are building a scene that involves any form of impact, you need to ask for an impact demonstration or quote unquote, their warm up, which I'm going to get into next week. But this is so they can showcase their skill set and strength levels to you. Then we have interest discovery questions. 
So topics in this category include things like fantasies, curiosities. This is where you can really expand on your soft boundaries and just overall sensations of what people like and experiences of what you want to do or could do. And this part can be very vulnerable process depending on what type of questions you ask. So when it comes to asking questions, you can ask any question that you think is relevant or that you want to ask, but be respectful and assess accordingly if someone doesn't want to answer a question. So if you ask a personal question about a like and they don't want to answer it, that's fine. But if you ask a question about health records and they don't want to show you, that's not okay. So act accordingly. And once you've gathered your information, now is the time to think about it. Are you excited? Do you want to do what they're asking? Do they want to do what you're asking? How do you feel when you're with them? At this point, you need to be self-aware enough to understand what your gut is telling you and know that not everyone will be good for you and you are not good for everyone. Moving on to the second factor of partnership, we have aftercare. Aftercare is what happens after the play has ended and uses specific language and behaviors to help your body and mind to return to their original state. Basically, aftercare is the instruction manual for how you want to be treated after everything has finished and is equally as important as the play itself. If you don't want to do your partner's aftercare or they don't want to do yours, Just don't start playing with them because how we reconnect to ourselves and our partners do matter. This is also an additional safety measure in case someone gets triggered. And if you get triggered, you're going to need someone who's going to treat you how you want to be treated. Because if you don't, it's only going to get worse. How much time you need for aftercare depends on you and your partner. But the general rule of thumb is more pain involved or intensity there is the longer the aftercare needs to be. On top of actions, you're also going to need a personal aftercare kit, but I'm going to discuss that in episode three. All you need to know at this point is that sex or your sexual experience has a beginning, middle, and end. View aftercare as the end. Without it, there is no real ending. So to have a well-rounded aftercare experience, think about your desired outcomes. You know, you have physical, mental, sexual, emotional, spiritual. Each of these categories should be covered in your aftercare routine. Then once you have a partner with similar or complementary desired outcomes, boundaries and limits, turnoffs and triggers, has answered your discovery questions, agreed on your aftercare routine, and even given an impact demonstration, if applicable, then you can move forward to the third factor of partnership basics, which is negotiate. To negotiate means to obtain or bring about by discussion. In a BDSM and kink context, we need to negotiate with our partners on how a scene should be structured to ensure everyone gets satisfied in a safe and accountable way. During the negotiation, you outline your soft boundaries and limits, assign verbal and nonverbal communication cues, and outline the roles, responsibilities, and relationship status. So soft boundaries and limits are activities or actions that could be explored if the opportunity was previously discussed and came up naturally or with warning. An example of this is, I don't want to have sex in a car unless we are in an empty parking lot. In this example, you want to have sex in a car, but only if the conditions are right. When exploring soft boundaries or limits, whether that be mental, emotional, physical, or involves pain, 
or anything really, move slowly. Exploring soft boundaries and limits takes time and can't be rushed. This is for your safety and to help avoid setting off a possible hidden trigger. Then you need to establish your verbal and nonverbal communication cues. Now, people who think that you can go into BDSM and kink with just verbal cues, that's such a no-no. Um, we all know that the most important verbal cue to set up is your safe word. Now, your safe word is a word or phrase that when said means to stop everything immediately and revokes your consent. But depending on your scene, the word stop or please don't don't actually mean that. So this is why you need to assign a different word or phrase to act on behalf of stop. But like I said, having only a verbal safe word is not enough. There are many play types and forms where we can't hear, we can't speak, maybe we don't want to speak. You know, this is where our nonverbal cues come in. So the primary categories for nonverbal cues are sight, sound, and touch, and you're going to need a safe word cue for each. Facial expressions and eye blinking are the easiest form for sight, as you can turn rapid blinks, slow blinks, you know, or a combination of blinks into a code. But you can also use light-up items that turn on and off for a visual element as well. I've seen examples where people were using bouncy balls or, you know, toys that when they hit the ground, they light up or they make a noise. And if they make a noise, that can double as a sound safe word cue. But the lighting up experience is, is cool too. It's also fun. You know, you bring a little fun into there as well. And other sound examples are manipulating noises like howls, grunts, whimpers, hums to different volumes or pitches. So they mean different actions or feelings. For touch, pinching with or without fingernails can be the difference between stay right where you are and go faster. But know when choosing your nonverbal cues, you got to keep them short and easy to remember. Nonverbal cues are part of the communication, so they need to be easy to recall and you have to use them intentionally. Next are your three R's. The three R stands for roles, responsibility, and relationship status. And the more accurately you define your three R's, the smoother your partnership will most likely be. For many activities within BDSM and kink to work, partners need to take on a particular role that is either more submissive or more dominant, which is what creates the power exchange and dynamic to happen. A power exchange is when one partner gains control from a willing partner who is contrastingly giving their power up. But don't worry, these roles aren't concrete and can be switched at any point depending on what you wanna do with your partner. But the more dominant role is typically called a top, dom, or owner. And it requires a lot of responsibility because you need to be hyper aware of your partner and how they react and respond to the things you are doing to them. In the dominant position, you are responsible for your partner's overall well-being and even safety. Being in the dominant role is a privilege and it should be treated like one. It's not a position to take lightly. Being in the dominant position doesn't automatically mean you can do whatever you want when you want. You can do as much or as little as what was agreed upon earlier in the negotiation stage. The more submissive role is typically called a bottom, sub, or pet. In this role, you need to communicate, communicate, communicate. You are responsible for speaking up for yourself. If something doesn't feel right or it hurts or it's uncomfortable, speak through your communication cues. Humans aren't mind readers. 
But still, you know, know that when everyone communicates appropriately, mistakes can happen, which is why there is a significant responsibility for everyone involved to discuss possible and worst case scenarios and what to do if an accident happens. Lastly, you need to outline your relationship status. Finding a new play partner doesn't need to feel like you're looking for a spouse, but you still need to know where you stand and how the relationship is going to be defined. Is this a casual partnership, a weekly thing, or is this an exclusive thing? Picking a partner is one of the most important parts of BDSM and kink, but it's also not that easy. I want you to understand that even if your potential partner checks off all the boxes on your perfect play partner list, you can't move forward unless you have mutual consent, respect, empathy, honesty, trust, and accountability, and have gone over your partnership basics. Set standards for yourself and then hold yourself to them. Again, the partner we choose for a BDSM and kink play makes all the difference in what we do, how we do it, and how we feel about it. Your partnership basics within BDSM and kink allows everyone to be on the same page before things start to happen. So give yourself time to think about everything I just mentioned, because the clearer you are on what you want, the easier it is to say no to what you don't want and what you don't want to do. And if you don't know what you want yet, start with the things you know for sure you don't want to do. But before I go, I do want to leave you with one major BDSM and kink don't. And I know that I said it a few times, but don't rush. One major don't is don't rush. No rushing. Rushing into BDSM and kink can hurt you mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, and even spiritually. If you rush into a scene or a play type without having the right headspace or knowing the risks, or even having the right skill set, you're definitely going to increase the chances of an accident happening, which can have irreversible effects at its worst. So know that the feelings, headspace, and skill set we enter a play with matters and will affect you during and after the play has ended. So don't be afraid to postpone or cancel if you aren't feeling up to it and never rush when advancing on a skill set. It's our responsibility to play safe by making the time to practice building from the basics and learning from the best resources available so we can make better and more informed choices with our kinky wellness. But that's the end of Partnership Basics. And I want to thank you so much for listening to part one of this three-part mini series on the BDSM and Kink Basics. Make sure you follow me on Instagram to stay up to date at thepartition underscore life as I continue spreading awareness on kinky wellness and the benefits of AIA. So tune in next week for basic two, which is impact. And as always, stay kinky.